excellent Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Well, we're very happy to have Mike and Nona down with us, and we heard from him just a little bit at the tail end of our first meeting, but we're going to turn the remainder of our Bible Instruction Time over to our brother Mike Fitzhugh. Let's pray again. We're going to get back to our study on the God of the impossible, but let's pray once more. Father... We pray and ask uh, because we need you. We need your Holy Spirit and we can do nothing apart from him. Uh, We need the Spirit of God to energize the messenger and the message and to illuminate our minds uh, as we seek to understand your word. So help us to understand it. Help us to apply it by your grace and power. And we will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I ended last time as we talk about the God of the impossible, and we're looking at four ways to respond to the God of the impossible. And I ended with this thought that um, when we think about God's promises to save us from our sins, to uh, supply all of our needs, to empower us to be effective witnesses, whatever the promises are, how do we respond? And I ended with this thought, the question, do you recognize the unlimited power of God? Or do you think of all the logical reasons why it just won't work? Or all the common sense reasons why it just won't work? Sometimes we as humans can do that. And I remember speaking to a group of Christians in a church one time. We were planning for the outreach uh, in the coming year, kind of planning ahead and seeking the Lord and setting a vision and setting some goals for that. And I said, I believe that we can reach at least 30 people with the gospel and see them added to the church this year. And as soon as I said it, this guy says, do you want to bet? Do you want to bet? You know, he, he wasn't thinking of the God of the impossible. Um, and uh, it, it was like dumping five, a five-gallon pail of water on your campfire, you know, kind of doused the, uh, the enthusiasm momentarily. Um, but he wasn't thinking, again, considering the God of the impossible. And I think of another person that didn't do that at first either. That was Philip in John 6. When Jesus looked out at the huge multitude of people and he said to Philip in verse 5, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he was testing Philip is what he was doing. Um, Well, Philip studied the giant crowd, pulled out his pocket calculator, abacus, whatever it was, did some calculating. And he says to the son of God, to almighty God, to the creator of all things, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little that's how philip saw it he was standing in the presence of the god of the impossible think about it uh standing in the presence of the god of the impossible and humanly speaking he was probably right but supernaturally speaking he was absolutely wrong um The God of the impossible was there, but with only five loaves and two fish, the God of the impossible fed upwards of 15 to 20,000 people that day. 15 to 20,000 people, because it says there were 5,000, what? Men there. So you figure with kids and wives and family and all that, probably 15 to 20,000 at least. Brothers and sisters, the Lord loves to glorify his name by exhibiting his power in the midst of our seemingly impossible situations. He really does. 
And he, the Bible is full of historical examples of that. We, we read them in the Old Testament. We read them in the New Testament. And we could spend weeks and weeks just going over those kinds of things. But I think of just the people, and, and these maybe will jog your memory for some stories. Abraham and Joseph, Joshua, right? Gideon, Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, David, then into the New Testament, the apostles, and then the Lord Jesus himself. Miracle after miracle after miracle, things that only the God of the impossible could do. <clears throat> Jeremiah said, and I'm picturing him here uh, looking up into the, the sky at night maybe. In Jeremiah 32:17, he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Our Lord Jesus told the first disciples in Matthew 17, 20, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You know, I can testify, and so can my dear wife, Nona, for 46 plus years, of marriage and ministry, God has countless times proved himself to be the God of the impossible by doing impossible things in our lives, providing when providing needs when it seemed impossible, doing all kinds of things. And uh, boy, I, I don't even have the time to share all of those with you today, but he has done it time and time again. And I praise him for that. We praise him for it. Again, Paul said, now to him who is able, and and this verse should be repeated. You need to memorize this verse if you don't know it. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond, above all that we ask or even think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's the one who is able. What a great truth, wonderful truth. Nothing is impossible when you are tapped into and trusting in the unlimited power of the God of the impossible. And remember that, please, when you are faced with a seemingly impossible situation in your life. It might be an unsaved relative. It might be an unsaved child. It might be a sickness, a disease, whatever. Trust in the God of the impossible. Recognize his unlimited power. Well, that's the first point. Secondly, uh, respond as Mary did to Gabriel and release control of your life to God's will. Release control of your life to God's will. It's one thing to believe in the unlimited power of God so that his power can flow through us. But what we have to be careful of is to be in submission to God's will and plan for the use of that power. That is, release control of your life to God's will. Um, It must be in accord with his plans, his purposes, as opposed to our own. And that's what keeps us from going out and doing some really crazy things. Say, well, what do you mean? Well, I've come across Christians over the years. I've seen it happen time and time again, especially those they want to see their their assembly grow, their church grow. And uh, they've reasoned and said something like, well, hey, since God is the God of the impossible, he can provide anything, right? He can provide any amount. So let's borrow $3 million and build a new church building. The Lord will provide. Well, the only problem there is, 
yes, he can provide and he's got the power to do it. It may not be his will for you in your particular place and time to do that, right? As James so clearly says, when we talk about making future plans, you ought to say, remember he's talking about these businessmen who want to, we're going to go to such and such a city for a year, we're going to do business there, and we are going to make a profit. And James says, no, what you should say is, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. James 4.15. And we see this approach in Mary's answer to Gabriel in Luke 138, where she says to Gabriel, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. That's submission. Submitting to God's will. Submitting to God's plan. And after hearing God's messenger Give God's message. Mary declared that she was the bond slave of the Lord. That simply means female slave. A handmaid um, means a female slave. I think it's translated bondmaid, excuse me, or female slave in the King James. Bondmaid. Mary had humbled herself to the lowest scale of servitude, that of a bond slave, one who gives himself or herself up to the will of another. Mary had released control of her life to the will of God himself. The Lord was her master. The Lord was her boss. And he was, it was her desire that he perform his will in her life, whatever that would be. And that's the attitude we need to have. Having recognized God's unlimited power, she released control of her life to God's complete control. And the question is very simply simple for us today. Have we done the same? Have we said, Lord, here's my entire life. You take it. You do whatever you want to with it. That's, that's what Mary did. Have we moved out of the driver's seat of our life and said, Lord, please, you take over from here. That's called lordship. And that's understanding that he's in control and that we submit to him. It's uh, Romans 12.1. That is our spiritual service of worship that we offer up our body, our bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your worship. It's your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service of worship. Romans 12.1. Now there's some wonderful examples of Christians who down through the years have, like Mary, allowed God to take complete control of their lives. I think of Florence Nightingale, the founder of trained nursing as a profession for women. When she was 30 years old, she wrote in her diary, I am 30 years of age, the age at which Christ began his mission. Now no more childish things, no more vain things. Now, Lord, let me think only of thy will. And then years later, at the end of her illustrious and heroic life, she was asked for her life's secret. What's your secret to success, they said. She said, well, I can only give one explanation. That is, I have kept nothing back from God. Wow, what a statement. That was Mary. That was Florence Nightingale. She had that attitude and... uh, Approach Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus, had that attitude and approach. The question is, do you and do I? I have kept nothing back from God. We could mention well-known Christians that have done that 
And I love, that's one of the reasons I love church history and I love reading Christian biographies because they're so encouraging and inspiring, especially in this regard. We could mention John Knox, John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, Henry Martin, George Mueller, Jim Elliott, uh, Nate Saint. We could go on and on and on. Uh, mention many more willing believers whom God used in mighty ways. And the, the thing is, here's what I want us to, to keep in mind about them and others like them. It's this. They were not spiritual supermen and superwomen. They were common, everyday people just like you, just like me. It's really true. As you study church history and you learn about them, uh, they came from humble beginnings in many cases, most cases, and, but they yielded to God, to his unlimited power, and God chose to use them because of that. Again, they were weak, flawed human beings, sinners who had been saved and transformed by God's grace, just like you. And just like me. And God can use anyone who is willing to yield to his power and to his will. And that's the key. Again, Mary said, and we should say the same thing. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. That's the same as saying, be it done to me according to your will. Because God's will is revealed in his word, right? So important. Well, you may feel, as I do, I trust that you do, at least a little bit, you may feel somewhat convicted when you hear a message about total dedication to God's will for your life um, and yielding, releasing control of your life to God. Uh, when you hear a message on commitment and dedication, like, like I've said. But another important proper way to respond to a messenger of the God of the impossible is to receive and believe God's word or message. To receive it and believe it. You see, that which Gabriel was telling Mary was not his word. It wasn't his message. It was God's. God's message. Gabriel was just an angelos, a messenger, a servant of God delivering God's message. Gabriel was God's mailman, if you will. And really, that's all I am. That's anyone who comes here to preach and teach the word of God. We are delivery boys, if you will. We are mailmen for God. We are delivering his messages. In one sense, we are nothing special for we are merely servants of the king. Amen? Amen. Slaves of the king, delivering what he's told us to do. You know, I remember as a kid, I'd be out, just a simple illustration, as a kid, I'd be out playing at night and, and it'd get dark, nine o'clock or whatever, and it's time to come in. And my brother would come to me and he's a year and a half younger. And of course, when you're a kid, a year and a half is like 10 years. You know, you think you know, I'm the older brother and he's the younger one. And my brother would come and say, say to me, Dad told me to tell you to come home right now. Now, I listened to that when he said it because I knew where the message was coming from. It was coming from my dad. If my brother Pat would have said, hey, you need to go home right now. I was, ah, get lost, you know, right? But when he spoke in the name of my father, then I listened carefully. And I was in trouble, big trouble if I didn't. We are God's delivery people. God's mailman, mailmen, if you want to say it that way. Um, so I would say, please don't elevate 
us as messengers. Again, we're simply the king's slaves following orders and delivering his messages to his intended recipients. And it's our job to get the message across accurately, exactly the way God gave it to us. Not mess it up, not distort it, not change it, not modify it. And it's not my job to get up here and give you my own messages, to give you my own uh, opinions, my own uh, political views, my own philosophies. You don't want to hear any of that. You really don't. I trust and I, I ask the Lord, whenever I pray and when I'm studying for a message, preparing a message, Lord, what is your message for your people? Just help me to see it in your word and give it accurately. That's the point. Put another way, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.1, Let a man so consider us as servants, huperetes, literally galley slaves, slaves of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found, what? Faithful or trustworthy. Yeah, that's right. We who teach and preach the God are to, uh, teach and preach the word of God are to accurately proclaim the word of God. And when that is done, however, it's your job to do what? To receive it, meaning you accept it as coming from God and you believe it. That's key. A faithful messenger of God had proclaimed to Mary the message that God had sent. She received and believed that word as if God himself were standing before her. Uh, presenting it to her. And so the simple question is, when God sends his messengers to us, do we who claim to be Bible-believing Christians receive it and believe it as coming directly from God himself, as if God were standing in our presence, as if the Lord were here giving us the message himself? Uh, That is, do we receive the word of God as being equal to thus says the Lord? And I think of uh, Paul writing to the Thessalonians. I love this verse in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now, the Thessalonians are a wonderful example to us because they accepted it as the word of God. Um, Sometimes, however, there are those who even when an actual angel comes to them and presents to them the message, they don't believe it. And that was the case with Zacharias, right? In Luke 1, he was presented with a message. He didn't really believe it. He didn't really accept it. He argued about it. He gave his objections. And uh, basically, God was speaking there and when God was speaking and Zacharias would not accept it the Lord said okay Zacharias you're not going to be able to speak and that was the form of discipline nine months or so he couldn't speak just to remind him of who the God of the impossible uh, is Zacharias was chastised in that way Um, why The reason is given by Gabriel himself, verse 20 of Luke 1, because you did not believe my words, which in reality were the words of God, because you did not believe my words. Yet in contrast to the older, more experienced Zacharias, Mary accepts 
the message. Very young, believing Mary accepts Gabriel's message as being from God, and she goes on to fulfill the mission of giving birth to the Messiah. Well, is that all there is to it? I've given you three points so far. Is it just a matter of recognizing God's unlimited power, releasing control of my life to God, and then receiving and believing God's word? Well, no, it can't be because I told you we'd have four points, right? (laughs) Okay. Fourth point. Remember that there is a price to be paid for obedience. Remember that there is a price to be paid for obedience. In other words, remember to count the cost. Remember that faith and obedience will cost you something. And this is true when first coming to Christ at salvation and as you continue to follow him throughout your life. Notice Luke 138 here. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now you say, Mike, where is counting the cost found in that verse? Well, in this case, it's in the white spaces, okay? It's strongly implied, I believe. Um, and let me explain it this way. Think of this. In being a bond slave of God and in desiring to do God's will unconditionally, she was opening, Mary would be opening herself up to all kinds of persecution, ridicule, disgust, mistrust, shame, gossip, all those things. I mean, let's think real life here, real people here. Just how would she explain her pregnancy to her family, to her friends, to the general public, and most importantly, to Joseph, her beloved? Would she say, and how could she say, uh, yes, well, um, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God and my baby is going to be the Messiah. Oh, right, Barry. No one's ever tried that one before. That's kind of what she faced. I'm not saying it went exactly like that. She obviously didn't say that, that we know of. But the point is that by believing and receiving and obeying God's word, Mary took a risk. She risked her reputation, her marriage to Joseph, and she even risked her life because she could have been put to death by stoning, right? For being an adulteress, having been found pregnant. And she was betrothed, technically, legally married to this other other man, to Joseph. Oh, she she took a risk by saying, okay, Lord, do whatever you want. In fact, we know from Matthew 1 that she almost did lose Joseph. He was going to divorce her this close. What happened? An angel intervened and explained things to Joseph in a dream and uh, spared Mary in that situation. The point is this, that without any reservation or any thought for herself, Mary was willing to pay the price as she believed God. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you... If you are a bond slave of Jesus Christ, there is always risk involved and there is always a price to be paid for following him. The Lord Jesus himself said in Luke 9.23, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, taking up your cross, that refers to sacrifice. That refers to suffering. It even refers to death. Everybody knew what the cross was about. Spoke of one thing, death. 
And that's what is so true. Taking up your cross speaks of suffering, following the Lord Jesus Christ, imitating him. In Luke 1, uh, excuse me, 4, 27 and 28, he said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? It's always a price to be paid for obedience, for following the Savior, for being a Christian. If you are a person who is willing to recognize God's unlimited power, release control of your entire life to God and receive and believe God's word, you will find that there's a cost to be counted, a price to be paid for faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, what, what could it be? Well, it may mean major hassles and inconvenience in your life. It may mean the loss of friends. It may mean persecution in your school. It may mean the loss of status and prestige, division in your family. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, division in families. And he went on to explain that. It may mean disownership by your family, persecution, even death. It may mean the loss of personal comfort, material wealth, your job, your status, your position in society, your career, or your reputation. All of those things are possible. There's a price to be paid for following Jesus Christ. And it's clear that Mary was willing to pay that price that price being her own life. Again, she said, and I can't emphasize it enough, behold, that means look, look at me. Consider me. She says, the bond slave of the Lord, that's who I am, be it done to me according to your word. She was willing. And it reminds us as Christians that we are bond slaves. We are slaves of Christ. And a bond servant is a slave the Lord is, we are his slaves. He is our master. And I think of 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, for you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore do what? Glorify God in your body. A man by the name of John Bunyan. You know John Bunyan? He was willing to pay the price. John Bunyan was told to quit preaching. But you know what he said? He said, I cannot quit preaching because God has called me to preach. And he was warned, if you preach, we'll put you in prison. So he said to himself, if I go to prison, who cares for my family? But how can I close my mouth when God has called me to preach? So he committed his family to the grace of God and he obeyed the call of God and he preached and guess what they did? They put him in prison. But boy, it was while he was in prison that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress and other things And he's blessed millions of families since then, all because he was willing to release control of his life to the Lord. John Bunyan paid the price, so did his family. Mary, Jesus' mother, was willing to pay the price. The Lord Jesus Christ himself obviously paid the ultimate price, dying for us to redeem us, to save us, giving his life for our sins in obedience to his Father's will. And the question is, am I willing to pay the price of obediently following after the Savior, whatever that may be? Whatever that may be.
say, well, my family might think I'm really weird. Or my friends at school might totally unfriend me on Facebook. Well, horror of horrors. <laughs> now, there's all kinds of things that can happen. But we need to count the cost. The Word of God does make it clear that Jesus Christ wants your complete and total faith, allegiance, love, obedience, and will. Add to that your body as a living and holy sacrifice, and that's pretty much everything, right? How do you really respond to the messengers of the God of the impossible? When God sends you messengers with messages from him, how do you respond? Will you respond in those four ways? Recognize God's unlimited power. Release control of your life to God and his will. Receive and believe his word. And then remember that if you do those three things, there's a price to be paid. Let's pray. Father, I trust that you have spoken to our hearts this morning. I trust that you have encouraged us. I trust that you have, in other ways, maybe convicted us. And I trust that you have done your work, whatever the need has been in each life and heart here today. And Lord, I pray that as a result of hearing your word, we would accept it, receive it, believe it, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as we obey it. Oh Lord, may your will be done in each life here. May your will be done in this assembly as you work through yielded vessels, yielded believers who are empowered by your Holy Spirit. May souls be saved. May the church be strengthened. And may your name be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.